You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I've got another restaurant we haven't talked about, too. Let me just throw out a little sagebrush for you. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Wes. Sagebrush. They used to be in Winston, too. Shout out to Cactus Jacks in uh, Winston-Salem. And Walker. What it's makes no me there. laugh is Fitty being so seduced by some of these restaurants. <laughs> right. Let me throw sagebrush. Oh, my God. <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Uh, throw the peanuts. Yes, Walker. Sagebrush. Yeah. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ out here at the Hornets Cornucopia event at the Spectrum Center. Feeding families, over 4,000 families will get meals from the Charlotte Hornets for Thanksgiving to make sure everybody is eating good. And as promised, Walker Mel said, going into the break, we did get an update on Miles Bridges and his situation. Today's hearing has been continued to February 20th of 2024 per court documents and Miles is set to make his 2023-24 season debut with the Hornets on Friday night against the Milwaukee Bucks. So that should be an interesting debut there as the Hornets are definitely looking for some wins and Miles is coming back to provide them with some help. And so when we talk about the college football weekend, Man, every week it seems like we're getting new storylines, just stuff that comes out of nowhere, things that we don't expect. And so now to talk about some of the biggest happenings of the weekend, it's time for the campus. Kona. Listen, man, Dabo told y'all last week walking, you and I, we fell victim. We thought they were going to have an emotional letdown. At least I did. I thought that Clemson was maybe, just maybe, a little bit of fool's gold on us. But it was not to be. I thought a hot Georgia Tech offense was going to come in there with Haynes King and provide them with some issues. And I thought this game was going to be a shootout and that the Clemson Tigers could lose to Georgia Tech for the first time in a long time. But it was not to be. They said, hell no. We're continuing with the uh, buzzsaw that we created last week. Uh, and they beat Georgia Tech 42-21. to But the headline of this game was the freshman. Dabo told us, he said after they beat Notre Dame, you better buy all the stock you can in the Clemson Tigers. And they came out and showed us why. You might want to whip out the checkbook, the debit card, the credit card, or whatever it is, because some of those young tykes like Khalil Barnes and Avion Terrell and D. Creighton and Peter Woods and some of those guys that have yet to really establish themselves as Clemson uh, standouts just yet. Tyler Brown on the offensive side. Can't forget about the big tight end. Josh Sapp with a spinning touchdown catch. And what about that touchdown catch Tyler Brown had channeling his inner right. Odell Beckham. <laughs> Folks, you can see all this stuff. Got to throw the plug in there on the ACC Digital Network. I made a whole video of nothing but plays from the freshman, and we got multiple views of that crazy Tyler Brown catch that he had. But they held Georgia Tech to 254 yards. They got after Haynes King 
like nobody I've seen all year. 13 of 31, he finished 129 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions on the day. This game was over from pretty much the time you said go. 11 tackles for loss. They lived in the backfield. Cade Klubnick threw four touchdowns. And Clemson now with two games left against North Carolina and South Carolina looks like a team poised to let everybody know that, yeah, you caught us a little bit down bad this year, but when next year comes around, the Tigers are going to be back. You can depend on Clemson's defense to keep you in the ball game more often than not. They gave up 30 points to Florida State, Florida State contending for a college football playoff spot, and every other game since then, they haven't given up 30 points. We'll see about North Carolina, whose offense is still very good, despite a couple of slip-ups against Virginia, as well as Georgia Tech themselves. But, man, this is a defense that's going to help you out. Wes, we just don't know what offense is going to show up every single week. We don't know if Kay Klubnick is going to make enough plays. We don't know about Will Shipley, his involvement. Phil Maffa is really starting to get going after what we've seen him do the last couple of weeks. And yes. so it does feel like they are developing a little more of an identity. I don't know if you get that sense, Wes. It did feel like Will Shipley is so talented. We wanted to give him majority of the carries. We've seen him get banged up, suffer the concussion, that awful hit that he had over the weekend. Yes. He was really upset about that, and I understand completely why he was so frustrated. I mean, he was hot on the sideline. It he, took, bit, he was. took a couple coaches to try to cool him down, but this is an offense that does seem to be finding the right ratio of just a little bit of Kate Klubnick, Will Shipley when he's available, but we're going to run it, and we're going to give it to Phil Maffa, and that's going to be our bread and butter, and our defense is going to help us out. They're going to shut down Notre Dame with the help, of course, of big game Sam Hartman not showing up. But even against Georgia Tech, that offense put up 40 against North Carolina. Not a lot to be impressed with because their defense has fallen off a cliff lately. We know how good Haynes King is, though. You don't get to number three in Wes's power ranking That's right, because baby. you're some scrub. That's right. Defense is going to help him. <laughs> What are you going to get from the offense? And now I think, Wes, we're starting to see that offense perform a little more consistently. Well, the big thing, too, was, you know, Clemson was able to win that turnover battle, and that's something that's been plaguing them all season long. I mean, if you look at their season, you take a couple of turnovers away, who knows what type of conversation we'd be having about them. But they won the turnover margin 4-1. to one. They're 4-0 this season when winning the turnover margin, 89-6 and six under Dabo Sweeney when they win that. They finished plus three in the margin for the first time since September 16th. Uh, against Florida Atlantic. They produced multiple takeaways in back-to-back -back games. And so that was the huge part of this football game was they created the turnovers. It wasn't just that Haynes King was out there just looking around and said, oh, let me give Clemson a gift. No, no. There was orange in his face, and he was throwing it, and Clemson was intercepting it. And then Cade Klubnick and the offense took full advantage of that. They had a very dynamic performance. They've looked like for the last two weeks the Clemson team that we thought that we could see uh, all season long. Well, they, they look a little bit like last year in the last two games, which is good enough to win the ACC championship. Before these last two weeks, they were not playing like a team that was good enough to win the ACC championship, but these last two weeks, they're starting to get things straight. They get rid of DJU, whether it be the offensive fault, whether it be the OC, whether it be the system, Dabo, whether it be DJU's fault himself, but Cade Klubnick throwing four touchdown passes, did have one turnover, but 
also only 200 yards. I, they're starting to rely on the run game a lot more, as I mentioned, but they look more like the Clemson last year. Not three years ago, nothing like that, but last year, that'll be okay after the start you got off to in the first half of this season. So we'll, we'll see. I think an eight-win season, Wes, if they're able to beat North Carolina, what a monster game you have between both of those programs yes. that have different slip-ups for different reasons. Huge game between the Heels and the Tigers. And then, of course, the good old rivalry game between South Carolina and Clemson. If you end with eight wins and you finish out one month of football having gone undefeated, that's going to stave off the Tylers of Spartanburg. Well, listen, I'm just going to let you know right now, I'm not picking against the Tigers for the rest of the season. So no I need to it. really ask me what my picks will be for the next two weeks. I'm taking Clemson at home against I'm Carolina. Still gonna ask you. And I'm also <laughs> taking Clemson uh, against the Gamecocks. They look fantastic. And I think that this is a team that this is what I was saying, though. The last point I'll make about this football game. This is exactly what I was saying when everybody wanted to say Dabo needs to run to the, to the transfer portal and get all these guys and do all this stuff that they see in Mike Norvell and FSU doing. Listen, when you have one recruiting class that's not in the top ten in the last seven, eight seasons, this is the type of talent that's sitting there chilling. And I think that everything that's been talked about with Clemson has lit a fire under Dabo and the Tigers. They're ready to go. Real quickly, you told me not to ask you who was going to win against Clemson anymore the rest of the season. Yes. What if North Carolina got that officiating crew that they did this <laughs> Look at Walker, troll daddy. <laughs> Go scratch Listen, yourself. let's get to it, man. So Carolina gained 537 yards. It was the 27th time since Mac Brown came back to UNC that UNC gained 500 or more yards. Drake made 342 yards, ran for two touchdowns, including the game winning overtime, had a touchdown pass as well. And this was the second time that UNC and Duke played into overtime. And so these guys, the Tar Heels, are 2-0 in overtime games this season. It was a marvelous game. The 92 points are the third most combined points in series history. Amari and Hampton gave you 169 yards. And so coming into this game, man, I thought that Duke was probably going to get beaten pretty badly. Uh, I did not see the freshman quarterback, Grayson Loftus, coming in and doing what he did, throwing three touchdown passes. And Duke was here. It looked like early on, Carolina got another double-digit lead that they squandered, and Duke looked like they had a chance to get it, especially when they scored with less than a minute left. But it was not to be. But also the story of this game, listen, you guys know I am not a referee guy. Yeah. I am not a guy that's going to say, hey, you know, this team won because of the referees. And Carolina still won the game. Hats off to them. They still won the football game. Duke did not make the requisite plays that were there to be made. But did they? Because when we talk about that interception at the end of the fourth quarter with Nesbitt and the Duke defensive back, when I saw that second set of replays and you saw that the ball was moving and uh, possession never was fully established until they hit the ground, and it seemed like, I'm not going to say 100%, it seemed like from my vantage point that the Duke player had the possession. This was one of the worst officiated games I've seen. It was like uh, when you had the lineman downfield on a two-point conversion. There were so many missed calls, and there were missed calls on both sides. I'm not going to sit there and act like it was just totally one-sided, but Carolina had the calls that really could have impacted the football game. I thought that it was an awful job by the ACC crew, and I would have said this no matter what two teams it was. It was badly officiated, uh, and, and this was a game that really, the officiated marred, officiating mm -hmm. marred a game that will go down as one of probably the top 10, 12 games that we'll see all season. It was phenomenal. Oh, that, that game was crazy, and 
what I'm not going to disagree with you about is the fact that it was poorly officiated because it was. And here's the thing. I don't know if I agree with you on the Nesbitt interception. From what I saw, mm -hmm. I know you're saying that he bobbled it. To me, I thought his butt was down before we started to see the real bobble, okay? The butt bobble, that's how we shall refer to that catch from <laughs> now on. But with the butt bobble, I thought it should have gone in the in the way of North Carolina. Sure. And eventually, it did. But you got to review it. Yeah. I am surprised that they just decided, you know what, it... Kudos to Drake May and North Carolina's offense for getting up on the line of scrimmage and snapping it. But even still, I've seen teams get up quicker to the line of scrimmage. They had time to stop play if they wanted to and go review it. That's the thing. Are you so sure of yourself that you don't have to go to the replay and you just want to let North Carolina march on? That's what I was frustrated about. I do think that Drake May and North Carolina's offense in this game made play after play, even if something was a little fishy with the officiating, <laughs> even if there was some controversy. What was crazy was that Drake May delivered every single time. And more often than not, we have – tell me if I'm wrong, Wes. The Virginia game is the only game that I can remember when it was a we need this drive to tie it up or get a go-ahead score. The Virginia game's the only time I feel like Drake hasn't delivered. Every other time, he sets you up for a field goal or he sets you up with the game-winning touchdown. He does it every single time. The Tez Walker throw on the sideline was miraculous, and the deep passes were phenomenal once again. The guy throwing downfield, he and Michael Penix. Take your pick, whoever the best deep ball thrower in college football is, whatever. Yeah. You're not wrong. But it's one of those two guys. I just continue to be wild by the offense and continue to be disappointed with the defense. That's North Carolina's M.O., <laughs> and it's come full circle, really, in the second half. And the thing I have to say is Drake May is great great as he is. One of the most magical players I've ever seen. I wanted to rip the TV off the wall. Every time this <laughs> guy looked like that he was sacked. I know. He just flails and throws the ball and somebody's magically there in Carolina blue or white, whichever uniform combination they've got on, to catch the football. When the Duke linebacker had him sacked and, 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 and had him, I said, oh, that's what I'm talking about. And then he just, on his way down, flicks the ball. Here's the catch. I'm like, are you kidding me? I I try not to curse in front of my mom and my son when I watch football. I try my best. Not there. But then when stuff like that happens, I just got to let a few go, man, because it's just so frustrating. But it speaks this kid is a magical player. He's a wizard out there. And, and, and Fiddy, I just wondered what he was thinking about during this game because I know he almost had a heart attack probably about four or yeah. five times during this football yeah, game. Yeah, hit his Fiddy. I believe this was the last yeah, time what, at Keenan, what did you right? think? Well, I mean, I, I think what I'm most frustrated by is Oh, <laughs> oh buddy, hold on. Hold on. That voice has Keenan all over Wait, wait he was at Keenan and the Dean Center, yeah, right? Yeah, buddy. All right, I, I want to hear Zero Voice that he give us this take. I'm let's sorry, go, go let's ahead. Go. So, look, what's got me most frustrated <laughs> is we got talking heads. who We get paid to talk about games. But all we want to talk about is officiating, knowing damn well if those calls go Duke's way, we're not hearing a bleep about, oh, this was a poorly officiated game, blah, blah, blah. Duke didn't have to let Drake May drive the ball 50 yards in 41 seconds to tie the game. That's why I said Carolina that, won the game. That, that didn't have to happen. That rivalry, which isn't really like they play for a bell in football, it's rather meaningless. It doesn't carry a lot of weight. They gave us a basketball-type performance on the football field. And so I just want to talk about how, uh, how a, great, a, a great game it was. It was the best football game we've watched by any team in this state this year.
And it was by two teams that played a great game, and a winner had to come out, and a loser had to come out. Thank God that the sky is Carolina blue, and the Tar Heels emerged victorious. But, my God, everybody in the media, oh, they just wanted to complain about officiating, knowing good dang well if it would have went the other way, there wouldn't have been a freaking peep about the Zebras. All right, I got to push back just a little bit here. Now, this is why I did say that Carolina won the game, and I wasn't going to take that from them because they did make the requisite plays. The only thing I will say is that the only reason I think the officiating was at the forefront, because like I said, I'm not an officials won the game guy, but I think that the plays that they missed were so game-altering. I think it's rare that you see games where, like I said, the two-point conversion, that could have turned the tide of the football game because if that gets taken away because of a lineman downfield, Duke scores, get a two-point conversion, they Win. He wasn't also, too far downfield, though. You got three yards. He was at the, he was at the fringe of the, the goal line. Uh he was downfield too far. Everybody and their mama saw that fitty. Come on now. No, and then you talk about, <laughs> And then you talk about the interception as well. Even if whichever side you lay on as far as which way you thought it went, you still had to review that call. It was too big. It was too important in the game not to review that call. But like Fitty said, Carolina got the win. Duke did not make the plays when it mattered. They had a chance to get it with the two-point conversion. They were not able to convert right there. So, uh, but, but I think that's why we saw what we saw as far as the aftermath of that football game. Game. Did out of breath, out of voice Fitty insult <laughs> us immediately with that take, with starting his takeoff by these talking heads? Yeah, talking heads. Yep. He, ta he, he started his takeoff with he these talking heads. He's hey, Fitty and Jay Z. These <laughs> <laughs> coming. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Listen, oh. Fiddy and Jay-Z got a lot in common. They're great at subliminals. That was a nice sub, Fiddy. I like that. So, uh, uh, real quick, though, they've got a hot Clemson and a hot NC State that they've got to play. So, Carolina's definitely got their work cut out uh, for them. And maybe we'll get more into that later in the show. But when we come back on the Weston Walker Show, live from the Spectrum Center, Panthers open up as a 10-point dog against the Cowboys. What would you consider a win for the Panthers? Are we going to be... Yeah. Moral victory, guys, <laughs> in this next segment. We'll see on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The Hornets' 13th annual cornucopia event about to start. We're here at the Spectrum Center broadcasting live. And the event, I believe, going to start at 1.30. we got media pulling up. Muggsy Bogues, the one and only, is in the house. So not only do you get to see the current players with the Hornets, you get to see some of the legends of years past, like Muggsy. Steve Clifford also going to be helping out as well. And he's going to be joining us at 1.40. So about 17 minutes from now. Steve Clifford going to be on the dial, so make sure you don't go anywhere. Real quickly, did want to provide more information on the Cornucopia event. Every November, the Charlotte Hornets and Food Lion Feeds provide Thanksgiving meals to a 1,000 families in need at this annual event. It's the 13th iteration. The Hornets team and head coach Steve Clifford, they'll be joined by Hornets executives and ambassadors, Food Lion executives and associates, Coca-Cola Consolidated, Second Harvest Food Bank of Metrolina volunteers. They're all distributing food to families who have a value for the meal. They feed 4,000 people each meal. They're handing out 1,000 of them, and each meal feeds about four people. So incredible stuff that the Charlotte Hornets are doing. They do it every single year, and we're happy to be a part of it here with WFNZ Sports Radio 92.7. They should FM. let us pick the menu one year. 
Oh, there'd be a lot. We'd be feeding a lot more people. We'd have people, people sleeping. 4,000 is already a great job, but we would have meals. We'd be like, oh, yeah, that looks good. I could, I could eat this in one sitting. <laughs> and then it'd be like 20 people that it feeds. Yeah, that's, what, that's how it Yeah, we, w we would have people knocked out by 1.30. And shouts to Betsy Mack for saying turkey is the most important part. Yes. I'm just, I know the takes. We'll get to the Thanksgiving takes. We got plenty of Thanksgiving shows left before the holiday comes. But anybody that tries to downplay turkey, all I assume is that your family doesn't know how to cook it. I'm sorry. I'm throwing shade. That's what it is. If you don't like turkey because it's too dry, that means you have been a victim of bad cooking by your mama, your grandmama. I apologize for <laughs> coming after them. But that's how it is because turkey is the goat for the holiday meals. And I said what I said. Real quick, what time do you guys normally eat on Thanksgiving? Are you an early Thanksgiving it changes. dinner No, guy? not really early. We're usually, like, we're a weird time. So afternoon like, sometime. Like yeah, something like that. Okay. That's, that's, Ooh, that's about right. Yeah, it is late, but we always have the appetizer or something yeah. going on. Okay, beforehand. yeah, you got to have a little something. We normally do like one, two, mm -hmm. and then because the early you can eat all day. You just eat through the day. You eat your first plate, you might get seconds, and yep. then you go back a little bit later and just munch as the night goes on. But we don't have a set time. Sometimes it'll happen at four. Sometimes it'll happen a little earlier. We'll mm. go about late lunch, one or two, and so okay. doesn't really matter. Just all depends on how long it takes mom to cook. Gotcha. And so whenever she's ready, I'm ready. Don't you worry. I got the tools. I'm ready to go <laughs> here for Thanksgiving. Let's talk a little more about the Panthers, who, as we mentioned at the top of the show, they open up as a 10-point dog against the Dallas Cowboys. Yes. You and I, both a little surprised, honestly, which goes to show you just where we are as a fan base with this team. What would be considered a win, Wes? Because it's gotten ugly against the Colts. It was ugly against the Bears. And those are two games of that three-week stretch that good about certainly competing maybe even getting the dub it did not happen whatsoever the last two weeks what would you consider a dub against the Cowboys I think anything within two touchdowns if you can stay within two touchdowns I think that's a moral victory for the Panthers because you're coming into this matchup with the Cowboys we've seen what they do to lesser teams now yes they've lost to Arizona but we saw what they did to the Giants yesterday they dominated them and we've seen what they've done to uh, teams and Dallas is very hot right now and then I think if you're able to stay within 13 points one that means that your defense more than likely came out and put out a valiant effort that means your offensive line played decent enough for you to be able to score some points now I'm assuming if you're able to stay within 13 that you've scored a couple of touchdowns because I know that you know you could lose to, uh, 17 20 to 3 or whatever the case may be but to me that means that you put together a heck of an effort guys were out there giving it all that they had and were ready to go against the Dallas Cowboys and I think once you get to this point in the season with the record the way it is effort is at the forefront always you don't want guys giving up especially if you have some early adversity uh, in a football game Dallas comes out and jumps on you 14 to nothing or something like that a guy's gonna give up a guy's gonna keep playing keep pounding as they love to say so for me I think if you're with if you're able to stay within two touchdowns, then I think that you came out and really played a very tough game against one of the best teams in the league. Bryce Young isn't going to get all of the respect back within one game, but the fact of the matter is you've dug yourself a pretty nice size hole with the performance that you've had against the Colts and against the Chicago Bears. No, anybody watching the game will tell you that it's not solely on Bryce Young. A lot of problems with the offensive line. It's one of the worst units in all of football. You could argue it's the worst offensive line in football, and not a lot of pushback is going to be had by me. 
the wide receivers outside of Adam Thielen, you don't have to pay attention to anybody else. Jonathan Mingo has not produced as some of these other rookie wide receivers have been doing. Really the last decade, we've come into a new age thanks to 7-on-7, seven seven, just really talented guys out mm -hmm. there. Jonathan Mingo not helping you out right away. Doesn't mean that he's a miss, but he is not wide receiver two in a normal offense. But he is here in Carolina because DJ Chark's been hurt. He also hasn't been producing. And even Adam Thielen. I thought by default he would come in as the wide receiver one, but I also thought because of some of the young wide receiver success that maybe in the second half Mingo would take that title away. Not even close. Not going to happen. Yeah. Adam Thielen, even with his lack of production, quote-unquote, the last two games, he still leaps and bounds, the leading receiver for this squad, unless you want to count a Michael Strawn, whoever that is, after we found out <laughs> during strong. the play that he made. Yeah, his strong hand. That's what it was. That was Bryce Young's strong hand and hit him for 45 yards downfield. Hopefully we can see all of that improve. I think with Bryce Young, what would be – if you're asking me what's a win, a win for me is Bryce Young continuing to improve. He threw for 200 yards four straight times from Minnesota – to Houston, and then he ended with his best performance of the season against the Texans. I don't necessarily care too much about completion percentage. Certainly there, there's context involved when you're talking about throwing downfield, throwing five yards, ten yards past the line of scrimmage. I just want him, I would love to see him get for over 200 yards. I don't want to see any turnovers, if that's possible, Wes. I would love for him to even battle in the face of pressure because pressure's coming. Like, in a realistic scenario going against Dallas, it's coming. There's just no way to dodge No question it. about it. Hopefully he can escape. Hopefully he makes the right decision with pressure in his face. And I know it's hard, but if you can do that, I think that will save some of the reputation that you lost in the last two games that have fans as out as they've ever been on Bryce Young. And I also think, too, for the offensive line, I mean, this is a chance that for the first time, just come out and have a, a, a decent showing uh, up front on both sides of the football because according to PFF, Dallas is the number nine offensive line uh, coming into this week. And then when you talked about it earlier, we know what this defense brings to the table. One of the best in football, if not the best in football. Micah Parsons, number one in pass rush win rate, okay? Icky and Taylor Moten are going to have their hands full all afternoon long. It doesn't matter which side they're on. So I think up front, this is the time, man, to really come out and fight and show what you're worth to this football team, to this organization. And so this is a tall order. Uh, I would like to, to, to dub this a, a Queen City Magic game because this is one of those games where I feel like it could get funny, but we'll see. But this is going to be a, a tremendous matchup for the Panthers because the Panthers are, I mean, the Cowboys are a bad matchup for the Panthers in so many ways. When you talk about man-to-man, -man, where they're strong, where they're weak, Dallas definitely has a lot that they can exploit. And so that's why we're sitting here saying that some moral victories would be huge for the Panthers because on paper, and when you look at this team man-for-man man across the board, it just doesn't look like a great matchup for Carolina. Some people are asking how this season could have been avoidable. How could this see with Bryce Young as QB number one? So once you get there, right, you have the coaching staff. It's already set. You pick Bryce Young. Now you have a lot of your most important figures set to start the season. How is it avoidable? Well, I think one way the Panthers were at least looking into was trading in season for a wide receiver. In fact, Wes, we've talked about it quite a bit. David Newton of ESPN reported that the Panthers inquired about Devontae Adams and T. Higgins, but neither team was willing to deal. So 
T. Higgins still with the Bengals. Devontae with Antonio Pierce. Some new life with that Raiders organization after Josh McDaniels was fired. You see him dancing last night? Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, I did. I'm sure they're happy after having a couple of victories and Josh McDaniels no longer a part of the Raiders program. All that to be said, how in are you if you're Scott Fitterer and the Panthers team going after T. Higgins even going after Devontae Adams, like how far are you willing to go with a trade package that would land one of the star wide receivers? Uh, I think you can't get too over your skis. You don't want to do something that's going to really hurt you as far as draft capital. You don't want to give up three to four picks and then a future first round and put yourself in the same position again if you're not in a position to, uh, you know, to be able to have a high draft pick. You don't want to be looking at the same situation two years in a row where you could have added one of the best players in college football and you're not able to do so. Yes, the receiver is important, but there's free agency for that. There are going to be some guys. T. Higgins may be sitting right there in free agency for you to be able to go give him the bag and bring him into the fold. You're also going to have the draft, but even if it's not T. Higgins, there will be some receivers available for Carolina to upgrade this receiving core. And so I think that maybe they did look into it. Maybe the price was too rich for their blood, and I think that that was the smart move because you didn't want to come out, give out, give up two to three picks this year and a first rounder for next year for a receiver because you have so much that you need now. If this offensive line is playing solid, yeah. then I think it's not a bad idea to go out the receiver. But you've got so much on that shopping list, your Christmas list, your wish list, whatever list you want to go with, it's a lot there for the Panthers that they need to be able to fill holes if they want to be a competitive team for next season. Um, I, I did. We got this text message from Andy, and I did want to talk about this, too. I'm glad he brought it back up. Ben Solak of the Ringer has been you know, doing draft stuff for a while now. I thought he had some interesting tweets talking about this Panthers offense we can get to real quickly before Steve Clifford on the other side. Ben Solak tweeted out, quote, I don't think the Panthers offense is well designed, but I also think some of the design is a reflection of what the quarterback can and can't do, which was always going to be the case with a QB this small. They definitely need better weapons to, to live in RPO, quick game world. It's doable. There's a lot wrong with this Panthers offense. No two ways around it. Nobody's denying it. But you really would like to have seen more from a first-round QB by this point, especially the first overall pick, especially when you traded up for him. There's no denying that either. It does feel like even with two Bryce Young, I won't say apologists, but I will say defenders with people coming at him, it does feel like this is a reasonable take where you could want more from Bryce Young. You could also want more from the team around him. I feel like this... I think it encapsulates it pretty well with the problems that we're seeing. What about you, Wes? What do you think about that? No, I agree with that. That's the thing. That's why I said you have to pinpoint the direction you want to go in. This is why during the draft, I'm like, you go get a guy like a Tank Dale and some of those guys. If you want to do RPO, you want to play a quick game with your passing attack, you want to throw screens, you shouldn't be throwing wide receiver screens to Adam Thielen and some of those guys. That's not their game. You need dynamic playmakers that you can create mismatches with, and that's why I think that they dropped the ball. That's what you need. Now, Mingo, like I said, yeah, they're hoping that he's in that DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown mode because he comes from Ole Miss. He's the big receiver with all the muscles and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you need guys that can create mismatches. And one of the biggest problems Bryce is having is guys not winning their matchups on a consistent basis. You get a Tank Dell out there, Puka Nakua, some of those guys, whoever you pinpoint, and then Bryce can jump back there and when the line breaks down, but a guy's open and he can 
can get the football to him, that's great. That's why I think Adam Thielen has been such a big help to this offense is that he's the guy that's open when Bryce is getting heated up. Yeah. And so that's what you need, more guys like that. But you have to have a direction that you want to go with your offense to be able to say these are the type of guys we need. We want to create mismatches on a play-in-play-out basis and be dynamic. We're at the Spectrum Center for Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the 13th annual Cornucopia event. Things starting up here at the Spectrum Center. Steve Clifford here as well. He joins us on the other side of the break to talk about the Charlotte Hornets and the season ahead. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're at the Spectrum Center for the 13th annual Cornucopia event. And to talk more about it and plenty of Hornets basketball, we welcome head coach Steve Clifford on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate you hopping on here. And with this Cornucopia event going on, what kind, what does this mean to you and the team to be able to contribute to the community like this? For me, this, I think this is our best event. You know, to uh, have this type of interaction with, you know, people coming in and, and uh, you know, the, the players, I think, enjoy this one the most. Um, you know, it just makes you feel good. You know, people are happy. Um, they're able to, you know, through the great donations from the d various people, they're able to get, uh, you know, help their Thanksgiving be a little bit better. And just a lot of fun and a lot of good vibe in the building. Uh, what I want to know is this, whether it be here or whether you're out and about in the public eye, how many people, whether they're rolling through the line or whether they see you, try to give you some advice on how to coach the Charlotte Hornets or in basketball? And what would be a really interesting question, if they do give you advice, how much have you actually considered it? Like, you know what? It's been a good idea. <laughs> I think that happens uh, no matter what level you coach, uh, where you live. You know, my dad was a, was a high school coach. When I told him I was going to coach, he said, just remember one thing. If you're looking for everyday affirmation, do something else because that's not what coaching is all about. Coach, i got to ask you so far with the way the season's been going, what's your assessment on where you thought this team would be at this point? Oh, well, I'm disappointed in the record, you know, because, you know, you always want to get off to a good start. Actually, we've made, you know, really good games on offense, um, you know, but we haven't defended, you know, the way that we need to. Um, to be honest with you right now, I mean, we're shorthanded. You know, le you know, yesterday was hard, um, particularly when Brandon went down. And uh, injuries are always part of, of this league. But unfortunately, you know, we've already had more than our share. And, and, and that's a factor right now also. Coach, you got to be excited, though, with LaMelo Ball, 30 points in three of his last four games and at least 25 points in a career-best four consecutive outings. We know that he was trying to get his bearings back, coming back from injury, and it looks like he's back in a major way and ready to really be able to contribute to this team. I, I think he's been great, and, you know, he worked so hard all summer, you know, to rehab. He did whatever he could on the court. And, you know, now he's, like you said, he's getting his rhythm. He's getting into good shape. Um, and yesterday, was to me, was his best game. You know, they're really good defensively. Uh, and his pick-and-roll game yesterday was, you know, elite. 
It's Steve Clifford joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline here at the Spectrum Center for the 13th annual Cornucopia event. Got some bad news yesterday in the second quarter. Brandon Miller suffers the sprained ankle. Any update on Brandon Miller at this point? He wasn't able to practice today, but, uh, you know, he did treatment and everything, and, and he is. He's not in the boot or anything like that, so... Uh, you know, we'll see tomorrow when he comes in how he feels, and and uh, obviously we want to be smart about it. But but uh, he said he feels a lot better today. He's a huge part of this team. I mean, you've been playing him quite a bit. He's been helping out certainly offensively. The mid-range game has been very good. The three-point shot not falling until we got to see it a little bit yesterday before he went out. What's made him so impressive to you and why you're playing him so much? Because this is a rookie, hard to make that transition, yet here he is doing it. Yeah, he doesn't play like a rookie, doesn't practice like a rookie. Um, you could see it even in September, you know, when the guys were doing optional workouts, playing pickup games. I mean, he's he's got high IQ. He's got great positional size. Um, and you know what? He's going he's gonna to shoot a good percentage from three also. I do think sometimes early in the rookie year, the line is significantly different than college. But um, he works hard at it. And uh, now he has a chance, obviously, to be a terrific, terrific player. Now, one of the concerns that I had about him coming out of college was him you know, driving to the rim. I know the field goal percentage wasn't great at the rim, but it does seem like he does a good job sticking with it if he misses some of those shots, has had a couple tap-ins, offensive rebound opportunities. What do you make of his game right now and how it is compared to where it could be next year, offensive attacking, playmaking, whether it be secondary, primary, anything like that? Oh, I, I just think because of the, the kind of approach he has, he'll get better and better very quickly. You know, he's also... Um, at times our best perimeter defender on the court. You know, he can guard different positions. He's guarded point guards. He's guarded twos and threes. Um, I think the going to the basket thing is, you know, like a lot of guys in college, a lot of times they're taught in college more to play off two feet, which in this league doesn't work as well because it's slower. Um, so I think as he gets more comfortable making that decision, if there's a seam go off one, he's so explosive versus gathering and playing off two where, you know, with the size in our league, those a lot of times are blocked shots. Coach, I know as a fan sometimes when you have a vested interest in a team, you can watch him and you know early on, like, man, it's going to be this type of game or that type of game. And I'm interested as a coach since you're around these guys so often. It's like when you're on the sidelines, can you tell pretty early in the game, you're like, man, it's, it looks like it's going to be this type of game or it's going to be that type of game. Like, how soon do you know what type of effort you're going to get out of your team on a given night? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and we've been better on the road than we have at home. You know, we haven't got enough to good starts at home uh on the road we've been good uh even last night i mean brandon went down it was a two-point game and the knicks are playing well right now you know they've just had a week where they had two really good wins um so yeah i i mean the thing you have to have the ability to do though is regardless of how the game starts you know, if it's not good, you have to change it. You know, get, you have to have the ability to stay with it. I mean, the team coming in here tomorrow, uh, they're better than that year in, year out than anybody else. When I was here before, that was what I was most proud of. I felt like we were like that. You know, if things didn't start well, we would change it. Um, and we have that. I think we have the 
uh, I think, quality of people and mental toughness to get to that with this team, too. And then, Coach, with Mark Williams, offensively, some of the outputs that he's had this season, 27, 19, 21 in another game. Have you been really impressed with the offensive output that you've gotten from him, and is it what you thought he would be able to do coming into this league? Well, you know, I mean, at Duke, he was really more of a defender, you know, and he never really scored much, but it's pretty easy for him. I mean, his instincts and some of his finishing plays around the basket, he makes look easier than they are. Um, I think he'll get better and better that way. I did have a question about the update we got on Miles Bridges. Court date continued to February 20th. You discussed him playing a significant role when he's eligible to return after tomorrow's heat game. Just real quickly, do you anticipate having him back in the fold this week? I, you know what, to be honest with you, tomorrow's four and eight days, seven days for us. And, um, you know, everything right now, it's Miami. You know, we got home last night. Uh, we got in early this morning. We're going to do the event, get right back. We are scrambling just to get ready for the game. And then, you know, we'll worry about everything else after that. Well, I did I want to ask, too, about Mark Williams. I know the going out, the five-out thing, playing against the Nets, playing against the Wizards with Gallinari hurting you from the perimeter. You know, how much is that? You've talked about P.J. Washington maybe not playing as much center. You want to roll with the bigs, one of the five best players is Mark, you roll with them. How much of that has helped when Miles Bridges comes back? Do you feel a little bit um, do you feel more of an ability to go with P.J. at the five so you don't sacrifice size at the four? How much is the, the going out five thing for the opposition? Hundred, no, well, I mean, it changes everything. But there's two parts of that to me. Is So, right now what happens is when we, when we downsize with P.J. at the five, the talent level on the floor for us is significantly less. And, you know, with the, all the injuries, you know, with Terry, with uh, Cody, with Frank, all those guys being out, um, you know, we have to keep enough offense on the floor, you know. So that's one part. The second part is, um, you know, take, take Brooklyn, you know, when, when they downsize. If every time a team downsizes, you know, we downsize. I'm just going to say, and, and maybe this is a mistake, but this is Van Gundy, Pat Riley. you got to build a team game that you can win in the playoffs with. That's it. And so if you sacrifice a couple wins along the way, that's what they would do. And I believe in that. Like, look, you want to get to the stage where you're in the playoffs. It's not just making the playoffs. Can you play in a way that you can win a playoff series? Okay? And... Those are decisions like that. So, for instance, you know, downsizing. You know, PJ's a terrific player, as is Miles. We're not winning a playoff series like that. They can be a part of that. But the reality is we've got to get Mark and get Nick so they can do the things like they did the other night in Washington. They did a great job. And those are part of the things. I mean, you can do what that which is easy. Or you can do the things that are going to take growing pains with a younger group to learn so that you can play against the best players. Um, so, I mean, that's part of it. You know, I, I'm, I just think like I tell the guys all the time, you've got to have a way to play where, you know, you can have playoff success. And it's harder. And sometimes it takes a little longer. But otherwise, why are you doing it? Like, I don't want to be that team that gets to the playoffs and all of a sudden you got to change three things. Or, you know, was it, then you're going to get to a play-in game and get, you know, 
you're not going to be ready or get in a playoff series and you're not ready. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Final question before we get you out of here. In-season tournament thoughts, having coached in it the first time this past weekend, and how are the players responding to it? No, I think they like it. I, I think personally, I think it's a great concept. Um, I, I just think that I don't know if it'll be this year, but I think for the teams that get into the playoff part of it, single elimination tournament with the best players in the world, I think that'll be exciting. I think it'll be exciting for everybody, coaches, players, and fans. And I think once we go through it at once or twice or whatever, then I think there'll be more and more interest. But I think it's a great concept. Um, and like I said, I think it'll catch on. That's head coach of the Hornets, Steve Clifford, joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, helping us out for this cornucopia event. Coach, we appreciate the Thank time. You, coach. Thanks once Good more luck, to the Hornets head coach, Steve Clifford. We'll put that interview up on our website, by the way, WFNZ.com, and you can just click on the podcast tab. The Wesson Walker tab should be easy to find. We're not done talking Hornets. we got Mark Williams coming up next to talk a little more about maybe Steve Clifford's comments, and I'm interested in what you have to say about Clifford's playoff ideology, Wes. I think that was a really interesting point about not going small with some of these teams going five out and getting this team ready for the postseason. Plenty more stuff to get to. It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.